Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Flag Day, which is today, stands for something. Red flag equals white flag on the Second Amendment. Climate consensus and fuel, freedom, and climate. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. It's Flag Day in America, and I want to say something about how important it is to honor Flag Day. I know it doesn't make the big, you know, have parades on July 4th and have fireworks, although there are some small towns in America that make quite a big deal out of Flag Day. But I want to talk why it really matters now. But first to go back to the days following September 11th. I remember after September 11th, all of a sudden, in fact, the day of September 11th, the attack on America um, by Islamic jihadists, many Americans on our street where we lived in Dallas at that time and around the country put flags out in their yard for the first time, never had had flags out before, put flags out in their homes, on their, they put stickers on their cars, they put, you no, know, we love America. And these are people of all political backgrounds because they understood America was under assault. They were trying to express, I love this country. I love America. I am an American. I want to defend America. I want to stand up for America. It was really a beautiful, you know, unifying thing. People talk at that time a lot about the political unity that at least briefly emerged after the attacks of September 11th. But use of the flag symbol became more and more common and popular. And a really interesting thing about that is um, I, prior to September 11th, I would sometimes see people wearing, you know, uh, dirty old baseball caps with a U.S. flag on them or, uh, you know, ways that they depicted the flag in a beach towel that they sat on or something that it looked a little bit disrespectful. It looked like you weren't really respecting the flag. It was like a decoration that could have just as easily been a butterfly or something. But after September 11th, I think more and more people began wanting to assert the flag as a symbol of what they believe in about America, not just, you know, the group of people who happened to live on the, in the country America at that time, but about the very idea of America. Because that was what is attacked on September 11th. That's what the Islamic jihadists were attacking then and still attack today around the world. People wanted to stand up and say, I believe in America. Well, right now here in 2022, if there ever was a time that people who actually believe in the idea of America, believe in the unique, extraordinary greatness of America, to which I dedicate this show, which this show, the entire purpose of the show is to talk about the unique and extraordinary greatness of America. If there ever was a time in America for people to start honoring Flag Day more, wearing your flag, wear it on your lapel, put a flag out in your yard, put a flag symbol in your car, be part of the effort to say, I stand up for America. We are not currently under the same kind of attack that we were on September 11, 2001. But in some ways, we are under more sinister, serious, and, and with more serious and long-term implications 
for America's future of freedom than we were on September 11th. And that is because we are watching the anti-American left that has now taken power in Washington in the brief time that he who was inaugurated on January 20th and lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Biden, in the brief time he's been president and the cabal controlling him, whoever that is, certainly including uh, Barack Obama and George Soros, those people have instituted the fundamental transformation of America in ways most Americans never even dream possible. Little things that may seem like little things, the idea that Americans are pretty much afraid, pretty much afraid to speak up in public and say, yeah, I actually believe there was outcome changing election fraud in 2020. The Department of Homeland Security, whose job it is, is to protect America. That's their job, to protect America, the homeland, have actually said in more than one bulletin, they view people who dare to challenge the legitimacy of the 2020 election as possible violent extremists, that was their first bulletin, and then domestic terrorists. They're telling Americans, you're not allowed to look at evidence, to listen to facts, to share with people the idea that there was massive election fraud in 2020. This is a, a fundamental attack on the First Amendment right to free speech, and they are brazen. They're not even hinting maybe we'll think about this. This is what they're doing. They're telling America, you don't get to talk about election fraud because we, the leftists in charge, we won, we're now in charge, and actually we're not going to let you talk about the illegitimacy of our, of our entire administration. Same thing with respect to COVID policy. DHS, whose job it is, again, to protect the homeland security, has let Americans know you might be considered a domestic terrorist if you even think about challenging the efficacy and safety of the vaccines or the overall broad reaction to the COVID-19 policy. These are unprecedented attacks on the very fundamental idea of America. They are outrageous. They are unacceptable in America. And that is why on this Flag Day 2022, people who understand the unique and extraordinary greatness of America, the uniqueness and greatness of our Declaration of Independence, our country committed to the idea that each of us has a right to life, liberty, and our version of happiness, that we have the right to expect to live under a rule of law with the consent of the government because we elect government and they're not our dictators, they're our servants, they are public servants. People who believe that, today's the day, now's the time, fly that flag. And frankly, I put our flags out actually before Memorial Day, and I leave them up through Labor Day because there are plenty of holidays in there to celebrate America, which we should be actually celebrating every single day. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So Flag Day is a great day. I love that holiday. I mean, July 4th is a really great holiday, but I want to talk about a bunch of other things today. Uh, and they really do all, uh, in some ways, tie back to freedom, the concept of freedom in America. I briefly, at the end of yesterday's show, got on to the fact that the uh, Republicans, 10 Republicans, including the shameful Senator Cornyn from my state, the great state of Texas, 10 Republicans in the United States Senate agreed with, at least in principle, to move forward a red flag law, uh, which the House, by the way, has passed a red flag law. I'll explain in a moment what that is, if you don't know. A red flag law, which basically is an intrusion and it, it, onto the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. The Republicans now in the Senate have signaled that they kind of agree, you know, that they're going to let something happen, maybe not the House bill version, but maybe something. And so these Republicans, they are reacting to some public pressure uh, in response to the 
horrific shooting uh, in Texas, uh, in the city of Ovalde, Texas, uh, involving the, the just painful and, and horrible loss of life of young children who are attending school. So there was a precipitating incident, but what the, the Republicans are apparently failing to appreciate is what the Democrats are doing. They are pushing an agenda they always wanted. They're pushing an agenda they always wanted. Democrats, leftists, Marxists, the Marxists who've now taken over today's Democrat Party, they want to take away weapons. It is, it is what every leftist government since time began has done. They always find a reason to say, oh, this is a reason why we have to give up our guns. This is what Fidel Castro did in Cuba after he won. And so he comes to power and he says, oh, you can, citizens, you can give up your guns. Don't worry, I won, we won, the people won, yay, we're in charge. And so the people of Cuba forcibly, but they turned in their guns. And of course now, the people of Cuba have no way to leave. They don't have, they have no way to fight, a back, fight back against a repressive, tyrannical communist government there because they gave away their guns. And so and this happened throughout history in other countries. Point being, people who are serious patriots understand the Second Amendment is there in the United States Constitution not to protect your right to go hunting or skeet shooting or air target shooting. Your Second Amendment right is there to keep the balance of power between the people and the government. That is the point of the Second Amendment. So any infringement should be taken very seriously. One person who made this great, great point uh, back in North Carolina a couple of years ago now serves as lieutenant governor in uh, North Carolina. This guy was a guy who just said he went to the Greensboro City Council meeting at which some gun, gun issue was being discussed, and he made what has become an extraordinary, uh, you know, <clears throat> kind of melted down the internet uh, viral video of his remarks at the uh, time at the Greensboro City Council. If we could, Mr. Joe, please play that clip of, of Mark Robinson. Mr. Robinson? Yes. Okay. Uh, I didn't have time to uh, You prepare. have to give us your name. Oh, I'm sorry. My name is Mark Robinson. I live at 4015 Sassafras Court. That's right here in Greensboro. I've lived in Greensboro all my life. Uh, I didn't have time to write a fancy speech. I didn't have time to, you know, I didn't have the the resource of an English teacher to sit down and write a speech with at school today and be you know, brought over here or practice or anything. What I really came down here for is this. Uh, I've heard a whole lot of people in here talking tonight about this group and that group and domestic violence and blacks, these minorities and that minority. What I want to know is, when are you all going to start standing up for the majority? And here's who the majority is. I'm the majority. I'm a law-abiding citizen who's never shot anybody, never committed a serious crime, never committed a felony. I've never done anything like that. But it seems like every time we have one of these shootings, nobody wants to blame, put the blame where it goes, which is at the shooter's feet. You want to put it at my feet. You want to turn around and restrict my right, constitutional right that's spelled out in black and white, you want to restrict my right to buy a firearm and protect myself from some of the very people you're talking about in here tonight. It's ridiculous. I don't think Rod Serling could come up with a better script. It does not make any sense. The law-abiding citizens of this community and many communities around this country, we're the first ones taxed and the last ones considered and the first ones punished when things like this happens because our rights are the ones that are being taken away. That's the reason why I came down here today. Gun show or no gun show, NRA or no NRA. 
I'm here to stand up for the law-abiding citizens of this community. Because I'm going to tell you that what's going to happen. You can take the guns away from us all you want to. You all write a law, I follow the law, I'll bring my guns down here, I'll turn them in. But here's what's going to happen. The Crips and the Bloods on the other side of town, they're not going to turn their guns in. They're going to hold on to them. And what's going to happen when you have to send the police down there to go take them? The police can barely enforce the law as it is. It's what I see. We demonize the police, criminalize and, and, and vilify the police, and we make the criminals into victims. And we're talking about restricting guns? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that when the police department's already hamstrung? You're not going to be able to go down here and take these guns from these criminals. So the criminals are going to hold on to their guns. They're still going to have them. They're still going to break in my house, and they're still going to shoot me with them. And guess who's going to be the one that suffers? It's going to be me. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight, it is not going to happen without a fight. And when I say fight, I don't mean shots fired. I don't mean fist thrown. I mean I'm going to come down here to this city council and raise hell just like these loonies from the left do until you listen to the majority of the people in this city. And I am the majority. Okay, that video, obviously, it captured the nation's attention, it went viral, and it got him from being just a regular citizen, not particularly politically involved, he's now lieutenant governor. And the concept he's saying is what I want to talk about today regarding the Second Amendment. It's always the case that if they pass laws requiring people to turn in guns, and we're going to get to red flag laws because they are unique, and I want to talk about them in a minute. But when you pass laws requiring guns be turned in or you require more stringent, strident uh, procedures in place in order to purchase a gun and you have to register your guns, how the government knows who has all the guns, very, very dangerous when you have a rising leftist uh, power in, a, in any country, very dangerous to have them have a national, which they do want, a national registry, a national listing of you know, who's, uh, who's got guns and what they have. But when that happens, criminals, because that's what criminals are, they, they are criminals. They don't follow the law. That's why they call them criminals. They don't, they commit crime. They don't follow the law. They're not going to turn them in. They're going to continue to acquire weapons, continue to acquire guns that they will use in crimes, and people who might have been able to defend themselves won't be able to do that. That was his simple point. Couldn't be more correct. But Several people, many people argue, well, you know, but we're in a different place right now because look what happened at Uvalde. It was a terrible, terrible thing. Look what happened at other, um, other school shootings, other horrific, you know, the Buffalo, the grocery store shooting. And so, you know, the sh we're just trying to get after the crazy shooters. That's all. These people who push red flag laws, we're just trying to get after the crazy shooters. And so what red flag laws do is say, you know, well, if you have, uh, if someone has a red flag, you know, a single, a signal of danger. And so maybe you could have turned them in. A neighbor could turn them in saying, hey, you know, this kid next door, he's kind of loopy. He's kind of crazy. And I see he bought a gun. I don't think you should have it. And so you're raising a red flag of concern. And then someone in authority uh, would be able to say, well, you know, um, let's, let's temporarily take his gun away or maybe permanently take his gun away uh, because other people think he's dangerous. And I want to paint a few scenarios to explain how dangerous that is. First of all, what the Senate bill is contemplating, I think the House bill too, the U.S. The US federal government bills are saying is essentially authorizing slash 
encouraging states to pass red flag laws. And so states will be, as the federal government always does, they float money. Well, if you just pass this, if you say this, you get some money uh, from the federal government. So they'll entice states to pass red flag laws. And in the context of red flag laws, you know, it's one, it's, very, very possible that someone who doesn't really suspect a neighbor or, or an acquaintance or a coworker being dangerous, but they don't like them, they don't like their politics, they don't like their attitude, they don't like their mother, whatever they don't like, you, if you can call and make a complaint and say, you know, to a judge or to whoever it is you call, say, I think this person is a problem, and you're not, in, in many cases, uh, you're not having to provide evidence, you just say it. Just say, I think this person's a bad guy, a bad woman, a bad person. So you're going to turn them in. And then in some cases, I'll tell you what. So was the point of the federal laws is to say to the states, you know what? You need to, um, you need to uh, or encourage them to pass red flag laws. And many states, have, they have varying provisions about what's required, what kind of proof is required. Under, Cal under Colorado's proposed law, under Colorado's proposed law, anyone can make a phone call to the police. And say, hey, I think, you know, so-and-so is a danger. They don't even have to be living in the state. There's no hearing. All the judge has before them is a statement of concern. And the judge can issue the warrant. And the police go out and take that person's gun away. Now, in the perfect world where you would know ahead of time, well, you know, yeah, that would be great if someone had been able, for example, to take the gun away from the Uvalde shooter or from the one in uh, Buffalo or all the, any other of the horrible, horrible incidents that have occurred, you, you could say, well, yeah, that's great. The problem is, is as, as many things are in the American left, it is this fantasy world that doesn't exist in reality. If you think the angry spouse, the uh, soon-to-be divorced, the man uh, angry because his wife cheated on him, a million scenarios, someone angry at their boss because they got fired or reprimanded, a million scenarios, someone could say, oh, 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 I know how to get him. I'm going to make a, a red flag report. I'm going to call and say he's dangerous. And then the states will have varying provisions about whether... There's even a hearing. There may not be a hearing. Colorado's proposing no hearing. The judge gets a complaint, assesses the complaint, and then if, if he or she so chooses, tells the police to go grab the gun. And so I'm telling you, the potential for abuse is massive. Secondly, there is a concept in constitutional law called due process. Due process. You're normally supposed to have a hearing, especially when your rights are going to be infringed. And so, in the idea of this case, if nothing, you know, if Colorado, as an example, goes through with the law they're proposing, there's no due process. You cannot, as a gun owner, say, my gun's not dangerous. I've had it for 10 years. I don't ever use it. And the only reason she's complaining is because I broke up with her and she's heartbroken and she's mad at me. You don't have any possibility of having that kind of hearing. And in states that, that are, are run by leftists, the unfortunate states in our country run by leftists, you got to know there will be seizing of guns without due process. And you may say, well, okay, but still, you know, kind of, but it could save lives. That'd be a really good idea. So, you know, but the scenario you just heard painted by Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, you know, your gun is seized because, I mean, as he was talking about, because you may be told to turn in your guns, but also could be seized under a red flag law situation, and then someone invades your home, and you can't defend yourself. The, the criminals, as they say, will always have guns. They come in your home to attack you, 
The girlfriend who's upset because you broke up with her sends somebody, you have no means of defending yourself. You're not even necessarily reducing gun crime because you may make it impossible for a person to defend himself or herself in their home. And the bad guys will have guns. I mean, the, the potential for mischief is too cutesy a word. The potential for abuse is, is extraordinary. And I also want to go back to the due process idea again. Due process, you know, they, they can't put you in jail. They can't, you know, issue a warrant. They can't do a lot of things in law because of the concept of first providing you due process. You have to have some means, some method by which you go before the court, you at least get to tell your side of the story, have someone representing you. Due process is the idea that the law is not made by a complaining person and a judge without you having a role in the process to say, wait, I am due some process. I am due, I am owed some right because of my, my stature as a citizen to present my side of the story, to at least articulate a defense to begin to tell my side. And so what I'm describing to you, you can say, well, about guns, it's so extreme, it doesn't matter. But what if they said the due pro your due process rights don't have to be honored and we're going to take away your freedom of speech? We don't like that you tell people that there was election fraud in 2020. We don't like that you question the efficacy of the, the COVID vaccines. We don't like that you question the legitimacy of the Biden administration. We don't like that you question the motivation they have for abandoning the Southern border. We don't like your speech and we're just, and, and the answer is you'll be locked up with no hearing, no trial, or somehow forbidden to engage in speech. If it were that constitutional right, the right to freedom of speech, or say it's religion. You have the right to freedom of religion. What if the government said, you know what, we, we love this freedom of religion thing, but, you know, not too sure about every religion. So, you know, the following religions are shut down. No due process, just shut down because we think they're dangerous, they're whatever words you'd use to describe them. In every other case of a constitutional right, you would say you have to, at the very least, have a legitimate basis, have a basis in law, and you have to have due process. You have to let the person whose right is about to be taken away have the opportunity to explain himself or herself. That would be, almost everyone would have that reaction. And yet, when we go back to the gun issue and the red flag laws, you know, they're, they're, Colorado isn't the only one, and it's not only not the only one it is of the mindset of the gun-grabbing left, the anti-Second Amendment left, that says, we don't care what your stupid reason is. You know, you, we had a complaint. Good enough. Turn your guns in. There are plenty of people, including he who's now running for governor in the state of Texas, Beto O'Rourke, uh, who is not, uh, you know, he's not Mexican, in case you were confused by his name. He's Irish, but whatever. Um, Francis O'Rourke, I think, is his real name. He spoke openly when he was running for president. Yeah, you're darn right, we'll grab your AR-15s. And, you know, he's a big gun grabber. Now he's trying to backpedal. But I'm getting around to the point. People who advocate for red flag laws and, and some gun restrictions aren't thinking about the idea that you're surrendering due process as a presumed right under the Constitution before your rights are taken away whether it's freedom of religion, freedom of speech, they're, they're, they're willing to jump over that. And in part, it's out of fear. It's because they don't want to have another Uvalde shooting. And no one does. No one does. But the same people who would happily grab all of your guns if you just let them do not support the actual effective measures for schools, which is the same way you protect banks. 
the same way you protect other institutions, jewelry stores, the same way you protect anything of actual value to society. You regulate entry and exit. You have cameras up. You, you, have, you may have to have uh, a, uh, machines that um, detect you know, metal detectors. You may have to have that for a while. You have armed security. In fact, I was going to tell you there's another school shooting in Texas that you probably didn't hear about it because the media ignores it. But it happened just this last week in a town right outside of Dallas called Duncanville where somebody, uh, a very bizarre acting, alarming acting person, tried to push his way into a public school. It was actually, uh, school was not in session, but there was a camp there, a summer camp going on. Kids are there, and he ignored the or ignored the orders of the armed guards who said, back up, back up, get away from the doors, whatever they said. The guy keeps pushing, pushing, and they shot him and killed him. I'm sorry anyone lost their life, but if you have that kind of attitude at the public schools where anybody knows if I show up with a gun and I try to push my way in, someone will shoot and kill me, I'm telling you, gun crime will go down. Hardening and protecting the schools is the answer. And I am not saying that there cannot be other potential uh, laws passed that deal with gun safety, that protect people, and perhaps are... are, um, are not intrusions onto the rights of gun owners, but to be stepped very, 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 very carefully on the idea that we're going to cheer on in the state of panic and grief and outrage over the Uvalde shooting, step into the world of let's just take away guns, let's just restrict guns, let's just, I mean, these laws that they, the House passed and the Senate is um, focusing on, these are, I mean, the red flag was the big issue, and I raised it because the red flag issue, the red flag characterization, appeals to a lot of people who say, well, I'm not a big gun grabber. You know, I, I think overall, I believe in the Second Amendment, but I just think, you know, if people are crazy, you have to be able to take their guns away. But they're not thinking through the potential for abuse because people will have the girlfriend who just broke up with them or the boyfriend who just broke up with them or somebody else who's always hated you, they will use these laws to attack their enemies. And we begin to fritter away to abandon the Second Amendment as it's extremely unwise and completely unsurprising here in the great state of Texas that we most unfortunately um, have our own Senator Cornyn, who's forever and a day a rhino, uh, participating in this. But it's really it, those issues... On the Second Amendment, if you start to say, well, you know, I don't mind if this constitutional right gets limited a little bit because X, Y, Z reason, but you have to understand, it's always just the beginning. There will be another issue in which, and then they justify the previous abandonment of due process rights, the previous chipping away at constitutional rights to go on to the next thing. Just ask the people of Cuba, Venezuela, North Korea, and China, countries where, understand, Gun grabbing goes with repression. Repression, repressors, tyrannical oppressors require an unarmed citizenry. And this is where the left in this country is headed. The left is already behaving very dangerously in our country, already affirmatively announcing what you may and may not talk about. The left engaged in the January 6th committee, where they're basically, the, I, I talked about that at great length yesterday, I won't go into it today, except to say the point among many, the January 6th committee, is to let the American people know we will criminalize you we will find a basis to criminalize you, to attack you, to lock you up if you dare challenge our authority. It's an extremely dangerous time in America. 
We have a great relationship on this show with Brighton Radio, and I always mean to mention that I want to thank Brighton Radio for carrying this show. If you're listening on Brighton Radio, um, I want to tell you that you're going to go off at the bottom of the hour. Uh, at 30 minutes past the hour, wherever you are, to a three-minute commercial break. And in that break, I don't know, whatever you're listening to, don't go away because I have a whole half an hour left after that. But I, I want to thank Broadband Radio for carrying this show, and I also want to thank our listeners there and let you know that you can always email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. You can also watch this show live online on our website, americacanwetalk.org. It's the best way to watch the show if you want to get to watch, americacanwetalk.org. Go there. It's live every day. Plus, at that website, you can do all sorts of great things, including signing up for our weekly newsletter. On the homepage, it just, there's a red subscribe, I think it's red, subscribe button. Just hit that. It's a free once-a-week newsletter. You can subscribe there. I love sending it out once a week. It just basically summarizes the show of the past week, tells about upcoming shows. It gives all links to all of our past interviews, our blog posts, our Why It Matters posts. This is just a great, great place uh, to go to americacanwetalk.org. You can also, at that website, donate to the show. This show, if you can believe it, is listener-supported. Listener supported. I deeply appreciate the donations of everyone who's donated to keep this show rolling. I've been talking since 2014. And as Rush Limbaugh, to paraphrase him, used to say, I'm not going to stop talking until everyone agrees with me. America matters. America the great matters. It matters that our generation of patriots stands up for America. You can also join America Can We Talk at our website, americacanwetalk.org. At that website, you hit join. It's $50 a year, 5-0. You'll get a discounted price on our upcoming summit. And last thing I'll say before we go off to a break, mark your calendar, October 15th, a fabulous summit in Texas. Great speakers and radio listeners come back after your break. For everybody else listening online, um, I'm going to talk a little, I'm going to turn today and talk about a topic you might think, why are we talking about that? There's so many, so many important things. Um, and there are many, many important things going on. But I want to talk about climate change. And the reason I want to talk about it is because you may not recognize it yet, but climate change, the Green New Deal, the, what the left wants to do in response to the alleged emergency of climate change, the Green New Deal, you might be feeling a little bit relieved, thinking this is great because the Democrats couldn't get the Green New Deal pushed through Congress. And it's true. They put pieces of it. The Democrats put pieces of the Green New Deal in some other pieces of legislation, but they didn't get their Green New Deal Act with all of the outrageous, dangerous absurdity that is part of the Green New Deal. But what they are doing, beside having put pieces through in other, uh, other legislation, is they're pushing it through via executive order and simply by agency action, by the massive bureaucracy in Washington that simply decides, we're going to go for this agenda item. We have so much legislation that authorizes us to do things that we can find a basis to push forward uh, and do what we want to do. So the Green New Deal is... is being pushed on America, even though no law passed. And one point I want to hit to start with before I talk about what's happening with the Green New Deal has to do with the concept of consensus. Many people began quoting because Barack fundamentally transformed America, Hussein Obama, he who promised before he began his first term, so he began in 2009, so he said this in 2008 sometime, going to fundamentally transform America 
Barack Obama was a, a radical leftist who intended with every fire of his being to push America as far towards socialism as he could while pretending he loved the idea of America. Climate change is a huge, huge thing. Part of what climate change people do, climate change advocates do, to shut down conversation is to use the expression, well, but there's consensus. 97% of scientists agree, or 77% of scientists agree. And they use that expression. And I want to remind you, if you didn't hear me talk about it in the show before, that is a lie. There is no such survey. There is no such consensus. There is no such study Barack Obama took from a random article somebody posted and had a, some tiny subset of the world's climatologists participating in some conversation. Hey, how many people think there's a, you know, a climate change happening? And so these goofballs, I mean, they're not, they're not planning world policy. They're just answering a question. They came back and said, yeah, we think there's got climate change is happening. That status, that statistic got used by, seized on by Barack Obama and I'm going to take a minute to say welcome back to our Brightian Radio listeners. Thank you so much for listening. This is Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk. So we're talking about climate consensus. And the reason I want to hit this story is, before I get into what the left is doing to push the climate agenda right now, I want to remind you that there is no such thing as a consensus, regardless of how much the left pushes that. There was, as I was saying before uh, you came back from the break, uh, there was a, a one article in which some climatologists were participating in conversation, and somebody asked, "Is one of the uh, arbiters of the or the you know the administrators?" They said, "Well, how many of you people think climate change is really happening?" So whatever the number was, seventy-seven percent, ninety-seven percent of the of the minute portion of of thinkers on climate answers, "Oh yeah, probably it's happening." That's where that came from. It's not a scientific survey. It is a convenient lie that Barack Obama and many others seized on to say there's overwhelming consensus on climate change. Overwhelming. And so part of the reason the left does this is because they want to make you feel, because you're not a climatologist and you don't have a degree in climate and you never studied advanced climatology, that you aren't really in the position to question them. The point of using climate change to bring about socialist, globalist takeover is because most people feel very unable to challenge what they are told. They, f they think they don't know a lot about it, and they certainly don't want to be um, you know, challenging something that's really real. So there's an article we put up on our website, americacanwetalk.org. Every day in this show, the articles I use for the uh, show are on our website, americacanwetalk.org. And on the homepage under shows, drop-down list of links, I put this one called The Irrelevant Climate Change Consensus. And this is where... Uh, as a matter of fact, this uh, here's where the 97% consensus came from. This is a blogger activist, a blogger activist in 2013, John Cook, concluded in 2013, 97% consensus uh, out of a, a, as what I described, a, a you know, tiny segment of people online talking about things. All of a sudden, they had, as he claimed, a 97% consensus. This has been this has been debunked over and over and over. I don't want to spend time today doing that, but I want you to read that article and be ready to respond to your friends who say, oh, but, but climate change is real, and you know we're all going to die unless we do everything the climatologists uh, want us to do. 
Bear in mind, by the way, the World Economic Forum that, you know, has openly, openly, they're not, they don't hide it in any way. Their intention, the World Economic Forum, is to be essentially the globalist ruling authority of the world. And they are socialists and they're globalists and they think they know better than everyone, but it is their goal. It's not, no, this is not a, an accusation or an assumption. It's what they want. They want world control and they have acknowledged in a variety of ways that climate change alarmism is a huge vehicle for people to, to use against people to cause them to dupe them into surrendering their freedom. Understand that they use climate to convince people to surrender their freedom and, and submit to globalist control, submit to socialism. They say it. It is not, I'm not exact. And now they have recently, you know, the Klaus Schwab famous book about COVID-19. It's the same thing with COVID-19. It's another vehicle to convince people to surrender their freedom out of fear, surrender their freedom out of fear and just give in and give control to these globalists. So read that study that has lots of data about consensus. And I want to just mention two other stories related to consensus science, just to make the point that it is really, you know, we think right now, but we're in 2022, you know, we, we have modern science, modern methods, modern brilliance, you know, we're like the, uh, we, we know everything now. But I want to go back and talk about two things that happened in history, very brief references, all to the point of do not ever let someone tell you that the reason to accept what they say is because consensus. Back at the time of Galileo, and I know this analogy has been made, but just remind yourself, every individual on the planet Earth, whatever era they lived in, they always were living at the time they were alive, they were living in the most modern time there was. They looked back at times before them and thought, wow, that was sure long ago. Boy, people sure used to be ignorant then. But now we are, we are the modern generation. We're the, you know, this is now. And so the now of 1633 involved Galileo getting permanent lifetime house arrest imposed by the Catholic Church because Galileo challenged the idea that the earth was the center of the universe. Galileo said, actually, you know what? I don't, that's not right. He, Galileo, with his absolute brilliance and accuracy said, you know, actually, the sun is the center and the earth is spinning around the sun. And for that, he was accused of heresy by the Catholic Church and all of the smart people, all the ruling elite, everybody at that time said, wow, you know, I mean, how could he be so stupid? Everybody knows because this was the Catholic church teaching. This was the ruling elite, the educated people. Everyone knows the earth is the center of the universe. And so when Galileo said, no, actually the earth is spinning around the sun, he was deviating from consensus. He was using his research information, deviating from consensus and saying, no, actually, I don't think so. So for that, I mean, and the church took, by the way, this was 1633, this occurred. The, the uh, church took more than 300 years to take it back and say, well, actually, it kind of turns out Galileo was right. A similar one in more recent times, you know, there was a practice among physicians, again, at the time these doctors lived, they were the most modern generation. They were the now, they were the most uh, elite, most educated, the smartest people. And they looked back at, at history at their time and thought, wow, we know so much more than we, you know, th than doctors of the past. They used to engage in bloodletting. Literally, 
people suffering, seriously ill, weakened by illness, they would drain their blood. And that was like, you know, to help. And I'll just tell you one quick thing I learned. Actually, I vaguely rang a bell, so maybe I heard the story before. But I don't know if you realize, George Washington, on December 13, 1799, he awakened with a very, very sore throat. It really didn't feel good. Um, and he was, and so he was, you know, whatever he had, the flu or something, he begins to decline. They called a doctor in who engaged in bloodletting. Estimated at the time, they, they, they withdrew from him. They, they, they literally lanced a, a vein and, and let the blood flow out five to seven pints. That's a lot of blood. So he gets weaker and weaker, and he died the next day. Even at the time, people said, I think maybe they took too much blood. But understand, bloodletting, that was the latest. That was the, the people who knew everything at that time knew that bloodletting was the way to go. It's a way to be, you know, way to be a doctor. And so now, of course, we say, dang, those poor people got weakened by losing blood. I'm saying that to say, do not surrender to the climate change alarmists who want to take away all your freedom because they say consensus. Bloodletting was a consensus. The earth is the center of the universe was a consensus, and they were both wrong. And there will be time, 100 years from now, 250 years from now, people look back at 2022 and say, can you believe these people believed all this crazy stuff? They didn't know this. They hadn't discovered this. They hadn't learned this. We will be looked at as, you know, as backwards by future generations. And I'm saying all this to get around to climate change. Understand climate change, very, very important points. Climate change is used as an argument to take away your freedom. To take away your freedom. I'll talk about that more in a moment. It is used to take away your freedom. It is sold to the people around the world as consensus when there is no basis for that in fact. There's not a consensus. In fact, many, many educated, smart, experienced people have trying to, are trying to say, trying to get through the, the left-wing media mob and the just, you know, the, the overwhelming, it's how the left functions on every single issue. They determine truth, they decide truth, and then they, they begin to attack anyone who won't agree with their truth. The left loves this climate change issue because they can get control of everything you do, everything you do. If you agree with them that climate alarmism is real, that in 10 years we're all going to you know, freeze or burn up. So I want to tell you two things. You can read both on our website. Uh, one is you can do this yourself. You can look up online, uh, Google, DuckDuckGo, whatever you use. Look online and just say, you know, climate, failed climate uh, predictions or, you know, climate uh, disaster, any, any kind of Googling like that. There was one article I pulled up. And this was from uh, the American Enterprise Institute, uh, which is, you know, pretty conservative, but not super. They had an article out. This is from 2019. 50 years, 5-0, 50 years of failed doomsday, and they use a make-up a word, echopocalyptic predictions. They have a listing of 50 alleged experts who made these predictions related to climate change that none of them came true. And every time, again, these people making these predictions are then the most, they're experts. They're the ones you're supposed to just salute to without question. So this is where we are. We have, we have, met, we have a long record of people who uh, engaged in climate change alarmism over the decades. 
and made predictions that caused people to be frightened, to surrender freedom. And then, and, uh, so I urge you to read that article and many others like it. I also want, there are three new books I can urge, or relatively new books. So what I'm getting at is, because climate change is now the consensus, and the left is saying, no one else can talk except us. We decide climate change alarmism is real. We're all going to die in 10 years. Everybody has to give up their freedom in order to let us do what we can do to effectuate climate change policy. And I will remind you, we had a great guest a couple of months ago, I think it was, um, a gentleman from the Texas Public Policy Foundation who is an energy expert who talked about even the climate alarmists will agree, if you do everything they say they want us to do, if you capitulate to every demand, the average temperature on Earth 100 years from now will drop 0.1 degrees. So you're going to give up, and I'm, we're t talking in a moment what they want you to give up, but three, three quick books to mention. Dr. Patrick Moore, he's a Greenpeace co-founder, um, has a book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. He's a former Greenpeace guy just saying they're frightening you to death. This is, we, there is no reason that you have to be so fearful of climate change as the left wants you to be. Another one is called, is by a guy named Alex Epstein, and it's called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Many actual climatologists, actual experts are saying we need more use of fossil fuels in order for uh, our climate to thrive, and the, the oh, and there's a third book. I'll tell you one. The book was in this little. Uh, the third one was Michael Schellenberger, who I really want to get on this show. Mike, I mean, he's been on before, but he's got a new book out called Apocalypse Never: Why Environmental Alarmism Hurts Us All. Michael Schellenberger. So you can read books. You don't have to take my word for it, but don't just buy into the climate alarmism. And the reason I want to get around to this is understanding what the left is trying to do with climate alarmism. The left is trying, to, through climate alarmism, to convince you to give up fossil fuels, to rush to an impossible deadline, even 2050, impossible to actually have normal life on Earth and give up fossil fuels. So understand what the agenda is. I want to make this, I think this point's profoundly important. Gasoline, the availability of cars, of private automobiles, the price of gasoline, how much, whether you can afford to fill up your car at the, at the gas station. These are, first and foremost, freedom issues. They are freedom issues. Just like I tell you tax policy is a freedom issue. If, you're, if tax policy basically says no matter how hard you work and how great a job you do and how accomplished you become and how successful you earn a lot of money and, and, and which you've worked hard to earn and the government can take 99% of your, of your paycheck away, tax issues become freedom issues. You don't have the freedom to live the life you're working hard and that you earned because the government's taking your money away. Taxes are freedom issues. So are fossil fuel prices, gas prices. When the left makes gas prices so extraordinarily high, which they are doing intentionally, it takes away your freedom. You think about how slaves in America couldn't leave the plantation because they were chained, because they had no way to get away. They were stuck. And the poor in inner cities, people often say, well, where are they supposed to go? They have nowhere to go. They don't even have cars. If the government makes travel by private automobile for the American citizen 
impossible to do because of the cost of fossil fuels, they are taking away your freedom. And they're doing it on purpose. You must understand this. They're doing it on purpose. You will not have the freedom to live in the suburbs or live in the country and, and drive into work into town or go on a driving vacation and go see the national parks and drive around the country or drive up to Minnesota to see your Aunt Selma. You won't have that freedom anymore. And the freedom to travel, which is what is tied to gas prices, the freedom to travel is a fundamental right of the idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Making private automobiles, making gasoline so expensive that you can't travel is a freedom issue. You must grasp this. The left grasped this a long time ago. They figured out they take away your freedom to travel and you're not going to be able to go anywhere. And so part of what the left wants to do, because they're, they are, they've made headway on climate change, is they want to shut down on, on causing people to believe in this climate change extremist alarmism. They want to shut down people who are trying to put their voices out, questioning the extreme nature of what they are demanding. And so there was a, a clip, this is, I sent to Mr. Joe, a clip from a Biden senior climate energy policy advisor. Um, this is a woman uh, who was formerly, I think she was head of the EPA, she was administrator of the EPA, Gina McCarthy, and she's now the White House climate advisor. Listen to what she said in an interview this weekend. The fossil fuel companies are still still uh, basically trying their best to make sure that people don't understand the challenge of climate. But now it's not so much about denying the problem. Now the challenge really is how do we get accelerate the solutions we have available to us, the technology improvements that we've seen that are most cost effective, in fact, cost competitive with fossil fuels. And what the industry is now doing is seeding basically doubt about the costs associated with that and whether they work or not. And so the challenge is now that we're moving from denial to actually just trying to, to disengage the public from understanding the values of solar energy, the values of wind energy, the benefits of clean energy. We have to get tighter. We have to get better at communicating. And frankly, the tech companies have to stop allowing specific individuals over and over again to spread disinformation. Okay. I, I, this is so important. I want you to think about this for a second. You know, we talked, we've been talking about the disinformation that the, um, you know, Ministry of Truth that the Biden team, they did set up was, you know, Mary Poppins, a loony, but it's still rolling on. This is the uh, Department of Homeland Security setting up a disinformation governance board. And they're basically saying they, the government, the left wing Marxists running this country, they get to decide what's true. Because they get to decide what is disinformation, what is misinformation, what information are people allowed to talk about and say, and they are the ones who get to decide what truth is. Well, if you're the government and you get to decide truth, what you're saying is, I can shut down anyone, anyone who's challenging anything that we are doing by saying they're engaged in spreading disinformation. So you heard the language she used. That woman, she works in the White House now. She's in Boston. She has a really thick Boston accent. But she works in the White House from Boston, I think. And she's their climate advisor. And she's all about not explaining to the American people 
what the climate change issue is, not responding to authors and other experts trying to speak up saying there is not a climate emergency. We do not have a climate change emergency. There is no emergency. We always care for our climate. We always try to make sure we are doing the best we can, clean air, clean water. What she's saying is the government is going to designate as disinformation anything that doesn't agree with a climate alarmism agenda which will mean ultimately they will make it uh, too expensive to drive a car, too expensive to use your personal car, the push to use extremely offensive, uh, expensive and unreliable, it may be offensive too, but expensive and unreliable electric vehicles, force them on people, and it's going to be disinformation if you try to point out this isn't necessary. She is playing right into what the left has been doing in terms of this disinformation. This whole concept, and I, I, if you're getting alarmed, you should be. The Biden administration is engaged in exactly what George Orwell described in 1984, creating a ministry of truth that is going to decide on issues far and wide, on COVID, on election fraud, on climate, on any other issue where they want to say basically, we decide truth. We dictate the narrative. Nobody gets to challenge us. Nobody gets to say, I'm not sure about that. May I present my own information? They're saying, no, no. No one gets to talk about these issues except, except the government. They determine truth. And that's what she's doing on climate. This whole consensus was one vehicle that Obama and others used to say, and many people still use it, not just to pick on him, but use it to say, well, everyone who's anybody understands climate alarmism is, is you know, climate change is real, it's dangerous, we're all going to die, you know, 10 years. And there were predictions New York City was going to be underwater by 2002. It doesn't, and, and this is another thing that happens when you're a leftist, you can control conversation. So nothing you predict ever happens. Nothing. I mean, the things don't happen. They never have to explain. The media never says, hey, uh, AOC, what happened? You know, uh, New York City is not underwater yet. What happened? No, they never have to explain when, when nothing they predict comes true. They never have to, I mean, they make adjustments, say, well, you know, X, Y, Z happened. So now we have, you know, whatever. They, they come up with some answer that, you know, that maybe justifies it. And they don't stop their agenda and everything they want to try to do to you is justified by something you can't understand. So when I tell you the Green New Deal is pushing forward, part of the Green New Deal is to end the ability for people to live in relative individual freedom in homes, in the country, in the suburbs. The leftists would like nothing more than forcing Americans into more and more close city dwellings, more and more small, you know, multi-structure, multi-family uh, dwellings where they can control you. The cities are more easily controlled by the government because they're all in one place. The left despises this concept of America having a, a love for freedom and home ownership and the freedom to travel and the freedom to explore. This whole it runs antithetical to what the left is trying to do to this country. So back to where we are, what this lady is saying, this Gina McCarthy is saying. She's saying that she doesn't want these social media companies who are already pretty much shutting down conservatives, she doesn't want them to even be able to talk about, to talk about the fact that other informed climate experts don't agree with the panic she's trying to spread. 
They, and so many people are pointing out it is completely unrealistic to think America, even by 2050, could be totally uh, reliant on, on sustainable sustainable energy, wind and sun, except not sustainable. If it's not windy and the sun's not out, but leave that aside. She's trying to say, we will tell you. And, and so she's, she's really kind of making an admission on the part of the Biden administration. We're driving gas prices up because we want to make it harder for you to travel, harder for you to have that God-given freedom to travel and live as you please. And we're going to call it disinformation if you try to challenge us. And we're going to encourage the social media companies to do that. I mean, people, we are watching. This is a whole other attack on freedom. In fact, you know, back to the home ownership thing. Uh, very quickly, we're near the end of my time today, but uh, on the home ownership thing, you recall Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, globalist, socialist, with whom, you know, for whom Biden holds great admiration. All the leftists love the World Economic Forum, love their agenda. Klaus Schwab is the one who said, in the future, you will own nothing. You will own nothing, and you'll be happy. You won't have a car. You won't have a house. You won't have your own home. You'll just kind of be communal and you'll be happy. And this goes against, it is stridently and, and just in an in inevitable conflict with the idea of America, the idea of individuals living their life and having the right to live in freedom. Our radio listeners are about to zip off in about 30 seconds, so I want to tell you again, Brady on Radio listeners, thank you for tuning in. I urge you to go to americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. That's where you can replay the shows, replay past shows, replay interviews. Watch our show on Thursday. We have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West going to come in for a pretty interesting discussion with us on Thursday at 3 p.m. And tune in every day to America Can We Talk at 3 p.m. where I always talk truth about America. Go to our website, learn more, and thank you very much for listening on Brady on Radio. For the rest of our listeners online, I close every show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show with the, we have those, yes we do, thank you. Okay, we have, um, we start our show with a flag day stands for something. Immediate 9-11 aftermath, Americans felt the unifying power of the stars and stripes. Outside leftist enclaves, the American flag still unites around ideas. In 2022, flag day, June 14th, deserves renewed attention. The flag is a symbol of American exceptionalism under her founding ideals. These ideals remain exceptional. They just need to be understood and honored. American ideals are under all-out leftist assault from within, from true domestic enemies with the intent to destroy. Fly your American flag in defiance of all who would tear it down. And on, red flag is a white flag. That was supposed to be like a pun, like white flag is waving you know, surrender. Anyway, red flag is a white flag in the Second Amendment. Red flag laws allow government confiscation of privately owned guns if someone publicly raises a red flag about the danger of such guns in the possession of a particular gun owner. Quintessential slippery slope toward government confiscation of all privately owned guns. Who decides who's a danger? For example, disgruntled ex-spouse? What rights does a gun owner have to dispute the red flag? None in some states. Will any judge hear arguments from both sides? The red flagger versus the gun owner. When and under what circumstances will confiscated guns be returned to the owner? I'm going to guess never. In June of 2022, in the face of brazen government tyranny, censorship, cancel culture, there is no time to entertain even the mildest version of red flag gun control laws. And on climate consensus, or lack thereof, consensus is not a scientific principle. It may be nothing more than a paid-for group think. Consensus was once was that Galileo deserved prison for believing the Earth was not the center of the universe. 
Galileo lived out his life under house arrest. Took another 300 years before the Catholic Church acknowledged the truth. Consensus once was that bloodletting was therapeutic. George Washington died from loss of blood from bloodletting for a sore throat. Consensus about climate change, extent, causes, solutions, is a myth. Of 50 major climate alarmism predictions, zero have come true. Three new books by climate experts demanding an end to the alarmism. And on fuel, freedom, and climate, and must, more, more Americans must understand fuel is a freedom issue. Once government can deny fuel production and prohibit the manufacture of certain means of transportation for the cause of protecting the climate, Government has controlled personal movement. Climate change and alarmism always understood by the left as an all-powerful tool to suppress freedom and take totalitarian control, all in the name of safety and environmental purity. Facts do not support the claims of climate alarmists, but too many Americans are too deferential and falsely presume pure motives by the alarmists. Reeks of a scam driven by leftist lust for power, control, and money. And that. My very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today? Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America, because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you